This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Hey, I'm Bev Jones, and this is Just About Work, where we talk about everything that can have an impact on your career. Today, we're talking with public relations expert, John P. David. John is the author of an important new book, How to Protect or Destroy Your Reputation Online. The book is a guide for both individuals and businesses that want to look good on the internet. It shows you how to protect yourself from the blunders or inactivity that could leave you looking foolish. John, I, I think your book is addressing such an important topic. Your book just came out. It's called How to Protect or Destroy Your Reputation Online. And it's addressing issues that uh, I think a lot of people have, and maybe they don't even know about it yet. My sense is that some of my clients and friends feel that they have no need to worry about their online career because they're not really online very much. But you start out pointing out how we're all online, and this is an issue for everybody. Can you tell us a little bit about why this is something that that matters to just about anybody with a professional career today? Absolutely, Beverly. When I wrote the book, as you know, you know, you when you write a book, you write the uh, the introduction last, right? Yes, of you, course. You you write your book, you come up with your your concept, and you write your book, and then you know after it's all done and it's a complete, you know, you know, it's a, you have a feeling that it's a complete work, then you write your introduction, and part of the introduction is supposed to explain, you know, why this why your book's important and who should read it and why they should read it and all those things. And what I realized after, you know, this whole long labor of love, you know, of, of, of writing a book, that what my book is about is vulnerabilities. And we all have vulnerabilities online. And we may not know it, we may not believe it, but we all do. And it's, it really starts with um, the fact that it's so easy for us to be digitally documented these days. It's so easy for us to post things ourselves. It's so easy for someone to take a picture of us uh, out in public. There's, it's so easy for someone to take a video and post it online. And then at the same time, there's, you know, um, there's, there's surveillance cameras all over, all over the place. And, you know, I'm not a, you know, a privacy zealot or anything, but, I mean, I, I, was, I was surprised to learn myself that the average person is, seen on a surveillance camera 75 times per day. Wow. Which, which is just kind of amazing, right? Yeah. And that you have at, at, at any given time, if you think about it, at any given time, there's, there, there's, there's someone around you who has a camera because we all have one in our pocket. And so we're, we're all vulnerable just to the fact that there, it's so easy for us to be documented. And that could be from something as simple as just, you know, you're, you're seen somewhere or that you know you're in that you're you're in line at the grocery store and you have a meltdown because of your kid or you're fighting with your girlfriend or whatever, and so those sort of things that can happen to us we're all vulnerable in the simplest of ways, right? And then the other thing is that we're all being searched online whether we like it or not, and it's starting earlier and earlier. You know, when I wrote my book and I started talking to groups of people about it, 
they would say, I, I, I thought I was going to be, you know, my core audience was going to be business people and, you know, maybe, you know, um, college students. But I've had people come up to me and say, you know, we should be talking about to, to high school students and middle school students about their online reputation. And the statistics actually bear it out because uh, I've, you know, I learned and I cited in my book that, you know, you're, you're Googled from a young age. And, you know, m- most college recruiters um, are checking social media feeds of applicants, you know, and they're, they're, they're looking, they're not necessarily looking for negative stuff, um, but sometimes they're finding it. So high school age on up, if you're, if you're, you know, you're, you aspire to get into a big name college or any college whatsoever, you better be checking your search results. And then the same thing happens in the job market. And the same thing happens for businesses when people are, you know, when people are looking for, um, looking for services or looking for, uh, for, for products online, they're, they're, they're checking review sites, all those things. So if you have a, a fabric. if you have a, a, a client who has a career, uh, maybe as an executive or uh, has a business, and, and they're starting to worry about how they may look online, how do you help them start to just find out how they show up? The uh, I actually have um, um, I've built out a, a checklist for such things for for CEOs. And, you know, some of the things that you need to do is the, the first one, the first simplest thing is check your search results. So type your name in and see what comes up. And, you know, you know dig down a little bit, see if there's anything, on, there's anything posted that you don't, you don't know about or that might be negative or, or you know, that you may not uh, be happy to see. Um, but the other things are, are there's some other simple things. I tell, I tell executives that, you know, the... the most of the time when you're searched for online, people are looking for really simple things. They're looking for, okay, I want to call Beverly Jones. What's her phone number? I want to email Beverly Jones. What's her email address? I want to go buy some products from her company. What's the address? Do they deliver all these you know, simple things? And if you can't be found, you know, if someone can't like, get to your phone number within you know, a, a click or two of page one of search results, then I think you're making a big mistake because you're you're inviting people to dig deeper on you. So, and even though there might not be something deeper, you're still you just got to make it easy for people to reach you and connect with you. So, so the first thing you do is you take control in some way, and you make sure that you do show up and you show up with your basic information out there, and that might be um, you might have a website or are there simpler things to do than have your own website that you'd suggest? Yeah, I mean, I think part of it, and, you know, one of the things I talk about in my book is that, that uh, you know, uh, we don't get to be off the grid. You know, sometimes we think, oh, I don't have, I don't have to pay attention to that stuff. And I, I hear a lot of people tell me things like, I don't, uh, you know, I don't do social media, I'm not on Facebook, I don't do Twitter, you know, and, and the philosophy is that, you know, listen. If I don't, if I'm not on Twitter, then I can't possibly tweet something incorrectly because I'm not tweeting at all, right? I can't possibly post a create a bad picture on Facebook because I'm not on Facebook. But we really, that's a mistake. You know, particularly for executives and for business people, you don't get to be off the grid because otherwise you're you're essentially letting the rest of you know of the web and and the rest of the online world determine what your image is. Mm-hmm. So if you have 
you know, I think everybody should have a Twitter account. Everybody should have a Facebook account. Every business person should certainly have a LinkedIn account. And the, one of the reasons is that those are all high-performing, high-authority websites. So when somebody searches for Beverly Jones, if you know, on the first page of search results, they're going to find your, your LinkedIn page. They're going to find your Twitter account. They're going to find the page about your book, all those things. And those are all pages that you control, like you mentioned before. You know, you control what's on your LinkedIn page. You control what's on your Twitter feed. You control what's on your Facebook page. You control what's on your own website. So you have, so just by doing a few simple things like that, you know, you can control, you know, 40, 50% of, of, the, of the, your first, you know, the first couple pages of, of search results. Well, I agree with you about that. When I'm working with my clients on career issues, I, a lot of them, of all ages, not just the older ones, a lot of them are resistant to spending time or um, assuming what they see as risks of social media. But but I found it that if we just spend a very short amount of time doing a basic LinkedIn profile and um, then set up a Twitter account where they're mainly going to use this to for their news feed, it doesn't take much time, but it puts you out there. It just creates a base. And for some people, that little starting point might be enough, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that these days, if you look for someone, you're, you're researching someone online, and you can't find information, there's a lot of people who say, why can't I find information on this person? You know, why doesn't this person have, well, why, do, why does this person not have a LinkedIn account, for example? I mean, and would you, would you be, you know, would you be reticent to hire someone if they didn't have a LinkedIn account because they, either they didn't believe in it or maybe they didn't know how? I mean, if, you don't, if you're not, like, technologically savvy enough to create a LinkedIn account, are you technologically savvy to run my company? Um, you know, there's all, 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 I think a lot of times the ignoring, ignoring your online reputation, you kind of do it at your own peril because it sends, it sends a whole other message. Yeah, it just shows that maybe you're not up to the game, the way career games are being played today. All right, well, I have a, a, a question for you because you're a PR expert, you're a marketing expert, you've been in the business a long time of helping clients build their reputation in a positive way. But you're a first-time author. You just um, your, your, your book on how to protect your online reputation just came out. So how did you, with all of your expertise, go around, uh, or go about the process of, of building up your own reputation for, for selling the book? What, what does an expert do when you want to step out a little uh, more in a new way? Well, you know, I had was was fortunate that, that that my book was kind of a a confluence of of events. You know, it built on a lot of um, a lot of experiences that I that I had. And one of the things is that you know, at the the sort of the core of my of my of my of my my being, my professional being, is a, is, is that I'm a public relations guy. And the reality is that there that my profession is moving, you know, shifting all the time. And one area that's becoming more and more important is dealing with these online issues. And so I was, you know, educating myself about online issues um, was part was part of this. Because I would get calls from my clients and they'd say, this is going on. What do you think, John? And I'd say, oh, I don't know, but let me go figure it out for you. And so I, I, I realized that when it, when it came time to, to 
for the book that you know I needed to make sure that I had a good online reputation, um, and so I you know I followed I followed my my own advice and 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 some of it is is pretty pretty simple stuff. I mean I have I have a um, you know I have a couple of websites um, I have that that are my business websites. I have social media sites. I don't you know I, I don't spend tons and tons of time on on some of them, but I have I have them, and um, and I have a blog. And I contribute to my blog, and I contribute with my, and I uh, interact with my subscribers, and all those things. So, and I and I check my online results, you know, pretty frequently. And I know that that you know, if you type in my name, you know, which is by using my middle initial, because otherwise you get all kinds of stuff, just John David. But when you type in John P. David, you know, there's 90% of you know the first nine of the 10 results on page one of Google search come to me. Mm-hmm. And so that was really, really important that I felt like I had good control over that. And then, you know, when it, for just the book in itself, I, you know, I, I just did everything I could think of to promote it. And I'm still am doing that right now. We'll be back with Bev after this brief message. In a world where impact matters, the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University offers innovative solutions to challenges. It's ranked as the 39th most innovative public service school in the nation, and it's in the top 100 U.S. News and World Report Best Public Affairs Grad Schools. The Voinovich School is a catalyst for regional, state, and national impact in entrepreneurship, energy, and the environment. With 11 full-time faculty members and 60 professional staffers, the Voinovich School partners with nonprofit organizations, governments, and the private sector to solve problems. It's the home of the master's programs in public administration and environmental studies. Students engage in real-world learning and networking to bring their ideas to life. For more information, visit ohio.edu backslash Voinovich School. Well, what happens with folks who don't take control the way you have and suddenly realize they've got some kind of problem, they've got some kind of, maybe it feels like a disaster facing them because a lot of negative information is out there. I know that some of your clients, you talk about them in your book, come to you because they have a mess like this. How, how do you get started at helping them clean up their reputation and maybe reframe the way they appear in public? Yeah, I, I think that they, the, the, the big example of this is that um, some people are kind of late adopters to the, to the social media world, and sometimes it's not really their fault, you know. So, so for example, there was one, um, one client that, that I, I talk about in my book who was in the financial services industry. And I don't know if you remember, but when the first, you know, um, when, when social media started to really gain, start gaining traction, the big financial services companies, you know, didn't want to have anything to do with it. You know, they didn't want they didn't want you know stockbrokers going online and talking about you know stock giving out stock tips, and so they actually told a lot of people in 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 financial services you know you don't get to have a Twitter account you don't get to have a LinkedIn account we want you to stay away from all that, and um, so I had a, a client who got himself into trouble, 
exactly what happened doesn't really matter, but what matters is that you know he 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 got uh, got arrested, and um, and that causes all kinds of problems, you know, from an online perspective, because you have public records, and then you have newspapers that pick up on it, and TV stations, and all these different things start to happen around it, and so it creates all of this, you know, all of this digital uh, content. And this particular guy, you know, was in financial services, was told for years and years and years, you know, you can't go on, you can't have all these social media accounts. And then now he's got this huge online problem. And the first thing that, you know, he called up before he, before he talked to me, you know, he called up a company that does what they call suppression services. And what that is is where you kind of flood the Internet with benign content and positive content. And the first thing that they do is, is say, well, you need a Facebook account, you need a Twitter account, you need a LinkedIn account, you need to do all these things which, you know, you did, you had, you had been specifically not doing. Um, and so that, that's where I, where I kind of came up with this idea, you know, you don't get to be off the grid. That's a big, that's a big mistake. Um, and so, so that's kind of at the, at the core of, of, of the philosophy of the book. When it comes to each situation, um, I think every online reputation situation is a little bit different, you know, and I think you have to look very specifically at what's going on and, and what's happening because there's different tactics that can be employed for different situations. And, um, and that's the, and I, I, I talk about them in my book. There's little sections on each one, what you, what you can and can't do. It, it sounded to me like it um, maybe breaks down into two kinds of activities, one of which you can do some of yourself, and then another area where you probably have to hire a pro. The idea of suppression is just that you have so much good stuff about you that that's most likely to appear at the top when people do a search. And so you're not really taking anything off. You're just making it less likely to come up. And that sounds like something that maybe people can do for themselves on a regular basis. If you're just a little worried that your friends are putting something silly out there, you just keep up that flow of positive information. But there are other times that you suggest that maybe you do have to hire a pro because people have put up um, hate commentary or things that are um, defamation that just aren't true, that that, that sometimes you have to, to, to maybe... Um, go to the websites and and negotiate with them, and and that's when somebody like you might be able to to help them go a little deeper. Is that right? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the first thing is that there's you know that the, there's there's different there's different solutions for different types of problems. So if you've been you know defamed and you believe that you've you know and and the, the issue with defamation and I I'm, I'm not a lawyer and. So I don't, I can't give legal advice. I don't give legal advice. Um, is that from what I understand, you know, the sort of the the bar to prove defamation is very high, um, and so most of the time when people have an online problem, they they haven't they haven't been defamed. They just someone said something that they don't that they don't like. Um, but if you've been defamed, you know, then then my recommendation is you talk to a lawyer who understands you know the, the ins and outs of online defamation. If you're the victim of, you know, cyberbullying or of, you know, hate speech and things like that, you know, the law enforcement in our, in our country is prepared to to help you in situations like that. So, you know, if you're if you're in if you're dealing with things that are really severe, you know, call the police, call a lawyer, you know, see what see what you can do from a legal from a legal perspective. Um, 
unfortunately, in most of the cases that things that happen that there's there's uh you know people say things or there's things people post things online and there's nothing that a lawyer can do or there's nothing that uh that uh um that the that the police can do because it's just it's information which you may not like um it may be true you just don't like seeing it you know mm-hmm. seeing it publicized and so those situations i think you have to look at them each on individually because it because it really matters where this is being said is is almost the most the most critical thing. It's not even and, and most of the time, when I talk to people who have online problems, they want to they want to tell me the whole story. And I and I I usually listen because they're interesting. There's always an interesting backstory, and you know it's human nature to want to hear all that. But for the most part, it's really where this was said. So if it's on a message board, and that message board is controlled by a legitimate company. And someone said something about you know about you that's just just you know really out there, really false, and it's mean, or, you know all those things. And you reach out to the company that that that's the, like the parent company and speak to someone there. Say, listen, on your message board, you may not even know this is there, but somebody, some, some one of your customers went on your message board and posted this negative stuff, and it really doesn't reflect who you guys are as a company. I, you know, if, I think if you looked at it, you'd say, why is, that on my, why, why is that on one of my message boards? And so I've had those types of conversations with companies, and they've taken the, they take the information down. So you can ask. You just have to find the right person, and you have to kind of ask in the right way. If I go in there and say, you know, I demand that you take this down, um, you know, then they may, you know, then they may, uh, uh, you know, they may go defensive on me and say, well, you can't make us do anything. But if you go in and you say, listen, Look! Look what's being written here. It's not really, it's not really furthering us as a, as, as a human race. <laughs> how nasty these people are being. You should, you know, restrict access to this or take it down. And a lot of times, people will take it down. Yeah, I I liked a, a, a section heading that you had in the book: negotiate, beg, and plead. I I think that's often the case that. Uh, when you're dealing with a website, you remember there are actually real people here with real interest, and they're probably decent people if they've got a good business. And if you go in and explain the situation and explain why it's um, maybe not good for them either to have this nasty gram on their site, they they may just be happy to work with you. You also in yeah, the book absolutely. Uh, addressed another site that I think Lots of people have wondered about it, and I never understood the mystery. And that is Wikipedia. How how do people um, get on there, and how are their um, bios managed, and I, how does that all work? It sounds like you've sort of explored that mystery. Yeah, I've um, Wikipedia is a fascinating a fascinating uh, uh, website. It's really you know, sort of the ultimate crowdsourced, uh, you know, information site. And um, it's, it's uh, you know, when we think about the traditional encyclopedia, you know, like the Britannica or the World Book that got, you know, delivered door-to-door, you know, back in the, you know, 60s and 70s, um, you know, it, 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 was, it was written by, you know, by, by, by a group of people who worked, people who worked for the Encyclopedia Britannica, and they had editors, and they wrote these, these encyclopedias, and they, they, they decided what would be in it and what wouldn't be in it and all those things. And Wikipedia is basically an Internet creation. It's run by, um, it's run by essentially by volunteers. Um, they, they, you know, they take donations to, uh, to, to pay for the, the hosting. 
Um, and uh, it's, it's essentially created by, um, by the masses. So anyone can go and um, create a listing. Uh, anyone can edit a listing. But it's not quite as simple as that because there are folks who volunteer for Wikipedia and they've created their own kind of standards for how Wikipedia entries are done. And they, they monitor it very uh, vigilantly because they want to make sure that the information on Wikipedia is uh, objective and, not, and is not being manipulated in any way. So you, um, it, it, so it, it's sort of the simple answer is anybody can go on Wikipedia and, um, and and enter whatever they want, but there's also this group of so-called Wikipedians who edit it, and they enforce, uh, you know, sometimes harshly, <laughs> uh, they enforce they enforce the rules that they've created. I. Uh always wanted to know that. Thank you for that. I want to change gears here a little bit and ask you about the process of writing the book. What energized you to, to write a book? Uh, what did you learn from the process? And do you have any suggestions for uh, listeners who, who think that they have a book that they've always wanted to write and they don't know how to begin? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, it started with the sort of intellectual curiosity about this subject, um, and uh, and I and as you know, I mean, I have a blog, and so I started um, I started writing about this topic as I started getting um, professional experience dealing with online reputation issues, and so what would what would invariably would happen is that I would. Um, you know, I started off with a couple of clients, and I learn I learn a little bit more about the industry, and then I'd start doing some research, and then I'd start talking to some people, and you know, before I knew it, I'd have another blog post, and after a while, I had I had a I had a handful of blog posts all about online reputation issues, which I was which I published, and and um, I would get some you know some good feedback on, and then for me, it was a very a kind of a clear moment. I um I was invited to speak. Uh, at a local university uh, in my in my town, and um, I had actually spoken there before about public relations. And um, the, the the instructor who told, taught the PR class, she um, she was was a regular reader of my blog, and she was very uh, very nice lady. And she so I went and I spoke about public relations. And then six months later, she called me up and said, "Hey, I want you to come back and talk to my class." And I said, listen, I'm happy to do it, but I would rather talk about these online reputation issues. And she said, uh, wait a second, you're not going to talk about public relations? And I said, I said, no, I'm going to talk about this instead, but trust me, you're going to like it. It's really interesting. And she said, oh, well, I'm not sure. I have to run that by my department head. I have to check. You're going to have to send us an outline. And, um, and I had like this like long chuckle to myself, mm-hmm. you know, it's like I could go talk, I could go like in 30 seconds, I could drive over there and talk about PR for an hour. But if I want to talk about something else, I have to have an outline, you know, I got to get this, I got to get approval. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, um, so I started to, I started to, to write an outline for what I would talk about for, uh, about online reputation issues. And I realized, you know, I said, oh, I could, I could do a really cool talk on this. Um, 
and uh, and then I then I realized, you know, I could write a book on this. And so from there, I just kind of very privately um, started to kind of cobble together a bunch of my blog posts that I'd written, and I kind of stretched them. You know, I did the sort of uh, virtual equivalent of, you know, putting them all on a, on, a, on a conference table and lining them up and saying, okay, this could be chapter one, and this could be chapter two, and this could be chapter three. And then I, I backfilled, and, um, and, and eventually, you know, after just kind of messing around with it for, uh, for a while, I had, you know, I sort of had the beginning of a book. And, uh, and, and, then, I, and I, then I realized, you know, okay, I've, I've got holes, you know, I've got, I, sh- I, should, I should write about this too, and this is an interesting thing, and this is coming up, and I could go talk to this person. And so eventually I sort of had half a book, um, and, uh, and, and I, felt pretty, I felt pretty good about it. I thought it was something worth, worth pursuing. Um, and, uh, and then I found a freelance editor who was really helpful to me, and he, um, he kind of gave me some insight into how the publishing world works. And then I just kind of went after it and found a literary agent, and then I found a publisher, and, and, uh, and now here I am. I think I first became aware of your work when I saw a tweet that you uh, made well before your book came out about, uh, I think, was something along the lines that, uh, need a book agent? Here's how to get one. I did it. Something like that. So I followed uh, the link on the tweet, and you wrote a great blog post about how to go about finding an agent for a non-fiction book and how you had done it. And uh, I thought it was a really clear statement, and I wish I had read it before I had to go out and find my own agent because you were much more efficient than I was. So I, I uh, suggest that that um, people check out their your blog if they're interested in more about some of these issues and also the book writing process. You want to um, uh, tell us the name of your blog where they could find that? Yeah, it's it's uh it's at davidpr.com. It's called so it's also davidprblog.com. Um but it's it's on my website. So if you type in my name John David, John P David, public relations, um any sort of variant of that, you can find your way to my page which is davidpr.com and my my blog is my blog is there. Well, thanks John. It's been fun learning some of these things for you, from you. And I'm, uh, I think you're a good example of a person who uh, takes their own advice and puts it to good use and has built a, a, a great profile. And I appreciate your um, taking the time to chat with me today. And I, um, I recommend your book, How to Protect Your Reputation Online. Thank you so much, Beverly. It's always great to talk with you. Today we've been talking with John P. David, author of how to protect or destroy your reputation online. And here's today's tip. Everybody has an online reputation. You can't avoid it. But what you can do is take a few simple steps to make sure that you show up in the right way. A good way to start is with a bare-bones LinkedIn account where you can be the one to describe your career. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. And I'm your host, Beverly Jones, author of Think Like an Entrepreneur, Act Like a CEO. ¶¶